And three, two, one. You're listening to The Real Social Proof Podcast with Mr. Sleepers for Suckers himself, David Shand. Let's get it. Welcome to another edition of The Real Social Proof Podcast where we find people who have real social proof, people who have actually built something and can show you how they built it. You know why? Because they built it on their own, right? It's not like, um, it's almost like somebody gives you a company that they built and it's kind of hard to teach other people how to do it because you didn't do it. You might be great at managing it or running it, but um, you built uh, an impressive business from the ground. So, uh, Ms. Jasmine Womack, please introduce yourself. Welcome to the welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited. Um, my name is Jasmine Womack, and I'm a strategic writing consultant and corporate trainer. So I work with high-performing entrepreneurs and ambitious working professionals to help you package your message, increase your impact in the form of a book, and then turn your book into a lucrative business. Nice, nice. So I guess walk me through your journey because you are a teacher, right? Twelve bless, years. You bless said, your heart. You at the very beginning. <laughs> Bless your heart. 12 years. 12 years. Bachelor's, master's, specialist. I was invested. Yo, you know what? I think we met 2014, which is about six years ago. It was like 2013 when you had the current shirts because yeah. you had this spot in South Cat Mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, wow. when I, that's when I a first met ago. you. <laughs> your <laughs> journey's been amazing. Yeah, it's, it's uh, been a blessing from God. Yeah. So walk me through. You're a teacher. Like, did you always want to be a teacher? I kind of fell into teaching, honestly. Um, that's a great question. I just knew that I wanted... What did I go to? I'm trying to remember what I went to school for. I don't even remember like, all that. <laughs> I think <laughs> I went... The, the I think, past. I think that I went... Yes, I think that I had majored initially in creative writing or English because mm. I wanted to teach English. That was. I knew that I couldn't gotcha. sit in a cub- cubicle. Like, I knew that wasn't me. But um, I wanted to teach English, and so they moved me to the education department, and so that was cool. But the crazy thing about it was that my freshman year at Fort Valley State, I found out that everybody on my estranged father's bloodline was teachers. Mm. I found out, like, my whole entire paternal side of my family that I had never had contact with my entire life were teachers. And so my my cousin, Bezo, he's an alpha. He was an alpha at the school that I was attending, but he had just graduated. Mm. And somebody told me, you know, you got a cousin down there. And I started looking for him, but I couldn't find him. No, um, But they said that he had graduated the year before. But it was homecoming in my freshman year. And something said, go over to that guy right there. So I literally walked to the Greek walk, and I walked to the Alpha uh, plot. And I tapped on a guy. I said, hey, I'm looking for a guy named Brandon. And I was like, and he said, well, I'm looking for somebody named Jasmine. And he was like, well, I'm Brandon. And I wow. said, I'm Jasmine. And that's how I met my first cousin. It was like totally... I would say it was divine. It was God telling me, hey, that's your cousin. And so it was my cousin that told me, you know, our whole bloodline is educators. He was an educator, had been over, you know, international. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother was an educator. My grandfather was a superintendent. Mm-hmm. My aunt was a superintendent in Houston. Like, wow. it's like in my bloodline. And Literally. I didn't know I was 18 years old in school to be an educator. Goodness gracious. And you, <laughs> but, but even like from a kid you wanted to teach, or maybe not a kid, high school, you wanted to specifically teach English. Well, in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was always good. I was always a strong writer. Mm. So I was always, I took AP English, you know, from 10th grade through 12th grade. Mm. You know, um, I always scored very high on writing assessments. I was just always, I always wrote poems Mm. and that was just my, that Mm. was my jam. Like, it was just something I was good at. Mm. People struggled in it, but I was like, this is easy for me. Wow. So you're saying, okay, (laughs) I wanted to be a teacher. 
I guess, were you not thinking about like the money or, because I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I, I never, I never imagined myself um, working a long-term career, mm -hmm. right? Except for one time I was working at the Cheesecake Factory and this whole entrepreneurship thing wasn't working. I, and I started asking my manager about management positions. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that lasted for maybe like two days. And I was like, yo, what am I doing? Let me shut this <laughs> off. Like, so, but, but I, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you thought about your path. Would, would that have been success to have a long-standing career as an English teacher, or did you want to be principal? I'm trying to understand what your goal was. Okay, so when I was hired, my um, it was my second teaching assignment. They hired me as a writing coach. So like like when I went into teaching, I just wanted to teach English, you know, and I, I felt like eventually I'd move up into becoming an assistant principal and a principal, but once I got in education, those things changed due to, I was like, you know, it's one thing when you see it on the outside, but right. then when you're actually in it, it's like, okay, this might not be the uh, jam. Principal so, sounds like so. the coolest career. Like as a kid, you like the principal. He runs the whole school. He gets to walk around with the, the little the little PA joint. Right. Um, but and I, I thought that was cool. When you're in education, though, it's just like you see all the responsibility they have. Yeah. You know, that they don't get the weekend. Well, they don't get the breaks. Um, but it's it's the responsibility of carrying all these students and all these teachers on, on your back. And for me, I knew that I wanted to get married. I knew that I wanted children. And I didn't think that going into administration would align with some of the family goals that I wanted. Mm. Um, because I knew it was going to take up too much time. Yeah. It was just going to take up way too much time. And that wasn't something that I wanted to, you know, compromise on. So what, like, where did it pivot? Where did you say, I don't want to do this? And what did you want to do at that point? I think it pivoted. I think the first time I got cussed out by a kid. <laughs> 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 I said, you know, I want to make an impact um, and there has to be a better way, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but no, honestly, um, the pivot came, I think, about my third year teaching. I wanted, by that time, you know, I wanted to make more money. I was tired of paying my car note, paying my mortgage, and only having a couple of hundred dollars left in my name. Mm. I was tired of having to get uh, part-time jobs because I was working and I was working at T-Mobile, or I was working and then trying to build up an MLM on the side. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of when that started, around my, sec my, my, fourth, um, my, my third or fourth year of teaching. I want to make more money and I wanted more time freedom. I didn't like the, po I loved teaching, but I didn't like the politics of it. Um, with some of the things that we were asked to do that I didn't feel were right, I initially went into Title I schools because I wanted to give back to our communities. And I felt like Title I uh, schools or schools in, you know, um, compromised areas, so to speak, low socioeconomic uh, areas, mm -hmm. I felt like they didn't always have the level of support and quality teachers that they needed. Right. And so I wanted to go in. That was my way of giving back. I want to give back to the community. I want to pour into the kids. Um, my thing after a while, it kind of became a little bit draining because at that time in my life, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to not internalize a lot of the things that I was seeing a lot of the students experience. Mm -hmm. I was going to funerals of, mm -hmm. of, you know, seeing 13 year olds murdered and going, well, going to their funerals because they were murdered. It wow. shifts you, especially when you know that you tried to contact the parents and you saw the child on this path. Mm -hmm. I went to like two funerals in one year and then another year some of my students were in my class in in August but then by March April they were on the first 48. It was 
Where were we at? Where is this? <laughs> DeKalb County. DeKalb County. DeKalb County. Oh, wait. Um, you from, and it was you from Georgia? I'm, yeah, I'm from Georgia. I'm from Columbus, Georgia. We mm. moved up to Atlanta in 2000. No, I'm talking about 1996. Oh, wow. Goodness gracious. So, you know, it just, when when you can see, and especially in middle school, because I taught middle school, mm -hmm. you know, like when you, when you can see the kids on a certain path, because you're with them all day, you see how they respond, you see how they act, you see how they act out. And a lot of times we have an indication as to why they're acting out that way and we can provide the supports that we can and try to provide the mentoring that, that, that we can. But when they leave us, they're out to their own vices. Yeah. And so, What do we yeah. do about that though? So you were in the, in the thick of- I was in the thick of it. Middle school, right? And this is elementary school with their kids, middle school, they want to be like the high schoolers and they see stuff and they know this stuff and they see what they want. and. You know, the hormones are starting to rage, so they know what girls are and what they look like. And oh, girls yeah, know what sex. the boys look like. And <laughs> they, they, they're like, oh, he cute, right? So, No, they're having sex. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot <laughs> Not different all now. Of them, but a lot of them, they, you know, a lot of them having sex. They My are, world's changed. Yeah, they're, they're, cell phones at the time were becoming really popular. They were mm. sexing each other. Yeah. You know, somebody, a girl would take a picture, send it to her boyfriend. He'd send it out all over school. Like, a, a lot of drama in middle school from social media and from text messages and things that would happen outside of the school that mm. we would have to deal with. From adults, in a, an adult standpoint, how do we fight this? The way to, well, the, what we can't do is ignore it. Mm -hmm. You know, it starts at home. It, it, it really starts with getting the adults in the communities, honestly, to care again, you mm. know, to, to care, you know. And so one of the things that I want to do in the future is to go into these communities and provide, you know, classes, parenting classes, you know, financial classes. You know, a lot, a lot of it's related to poverty. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not the children, it's poverty, and it's the effects of poverty. Mm -hmm. Because you don't have bad kids, you have kids without their mothers in the home. Mm -hmm. Kids whose mothers are in the home, but they're working two and three jobs, and so the kids are by themselves. Or kids without fathers in the home, the father's in jail, or they don't know their fathers. They spend a lot of time alone with cousins, with aunts, with grandparents. You have um, a lot of aggression, because there's anger, there's frustration. The parents are frustrated, and so in and they don't know how to communicate. And so their version of showing care and concern is cursing their kids out, mm. you know? They'll cuss them out on the phone or come up to the school and curse them out. And I think that, you know, we saw a video of something like this that went viral a few months ago where this parent got called to a school and she went up and had her friend film her beating her son. She drug him out of the cafeteria, beat her son. He's probably uh, seven, eight years in elementary school, beat her son, but while she was beating him, she was calling him the N-word and saying all these other expletives. And uh, according to what I read, the protected, Child Protective Services ended up removing him and the other children from the home. Mm. But she was a single mom with five children. She was stressed out. Yeah. Poverty. So it's not it's not the kids, it's, it's poverty. And it's understanding what poverty does to our communities and trying to trying to give back and do, do our part in, you know, improving those communities and improving the knowledge of the people so there as well. So what can a teacher do though? I mean, because if, if I'm understanding the story, the, the parents are teaching the child certain behaviors, especially with the pressures of the world and, you know, things of that nature. And then the, the kids bring it to school and they act out. And obviously there becomes this culture because 
that kid isn't the only one with a household like that. So like, we gotta act a certain way. And then a teacher saying, hey, don't, calm down, stop, right? That's foreign. And then they get, they get <laughs> oh, oh yes. It's, it's foreign, like yeah, when a teacher it. tells, you know, in these type of environments or schools, when a teacher says to a child, you know, don't curse, don't, don't say that. To a child that's foreign because that's all they hear at home. Yeah. That's all they've heard their whole entire life and now they're coming to you and you're saying this is how you should act and they're like, well, this is how my mom talks, this is how everybody talks, this is how I talk at home, it's allowed. And I don't necessarily think that the parents are, that the parents are teaching from being, they're not saying like, you know, this is how you should do, it's just, yeah. This is our way of life, and you just learn and grow and adapt mm. because it, it. This is what it is. This is out. This is how we live. This is how, how we exist. And so, I think as a teacher, a lot of it comes from relationships, mm. like being able to connect with the children, being able to build an authentic relationship. Because a lot of it, I will say, that's why I said I enjoyed teaching. I didn't enjoy the politics yeah. because even in these, you know, challenging communities, when those kids know that you care they will bend over backwards to work for you mm. there's they have a loyalty right. they have a sense of loyalty that i've never seen anywhere and it's 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 do you care about me do you care about me as a person so it's it's really being able to, to connect with them being able to relate what you're doing in the classroom to their life and showing them how despite what you're seeing on the outside when you mm. leave this classroom this is how, and this is why this is important, and this is how it can help you. Yeah. So even though it, you may not, you may not see the result then. You're planting the seed. Gotcha. And school districts bring and you in to work with the teachers to teach them this, these principles, right? Yes, mindset, yeah. mindset, and growth, growth mindset and development. So walk, walk me through that that training. So if you're out there, you're a superintendent, <laughs> you're watching this. Hit up Jazz, okay? She can she can change your life. She can help you keep your job. But, uh, <laughs> so so what do you, so when 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 districts come in to, um, to book you to work with their teachers, what are some of the first things you tell the teacher? Or it's you try about, to work through with the teacher? It's about making impact, and it's about increasing student development and increasing your professional development by through personal growth. Mm -hmm. And so I sometimes, I didn't wear it today, I wore my published and paid shirt today, but I use the um, phrase of impact with an E, mm -hmm. you know. So this is my framework where, where I speak um, about, you know, emotional intelligence being, you know, like identifying your emotions and like why you feel the way that you feel and what's triggering it. Knowing your mental capacity, how much can you handle? Like just really knowing yourself. Oh, so you don't, you don't really talk about the relationship to the teacher and the kids first. You deal with the kids. I deal with the teacher. Right, right. We deal with you yeah. because as a teacher, <clears throat> Even as a teacher, teachers deal with things too. And a lot of teachers bring their stuff from the outside into the classroom and then it impacts their performance in the classroom. Mm -hmm. It may impact their perspective of a child. It may even impact, you know, how they relate to their coworkers, how they talk to the children, how they do, you know, their expectations. Right. How do you manage yourself so that you can become a better educator and as well as, you know, increase student performance as well and, and reach your professional goals. Mm -hmm. And so at the, at the core of anything is personal growth and development. Mm -hmm. It's becoming a better you so that you can be better to those around you and to those who you serve. Wow, one thing you were telling me is when you go to the schools, one of the major problems is the teacher doesn't think they have a problem. A lot of times they don't. They think that the child has a problem. You know, um, well, this child only reads on a third grade level, or this child is not able to do, do, the, to do this and that. And so instead of meeting the child where they are, 
and trying to, we know we can't fill all the gaps. Obviously, if you're a seventh grade teacher, or eighth grade teacher with a child who reads on a third grade level, we know that in a school year, you're not going to move them from third grade to eighth grade. Like we know, but what kind of growth can take place? If you already are focusing on the child's limitations and what they can't do, then your standard of performance is not up here. You have a very low expectation. And so you're going to go into the classroom teaching at that low expectation, you're not going to challenge that child. Mm. So you're not going to give them an opportunity or room to grow or room to show you what they can do when they are applied. Yeah. You know, and it's even being able to know, um, being understanding children's strengths because a child, you know, may be able to articulate themselves artistically or visually as opposed to in writing. So with incorporating, you know, different learning styles in the classroom, how do you bring the best out of this child so that you can build up their confidence and self-esteem and help them to improve in the areas where you need them to improve, if that makes sense. Wow, I so think it's, like, it's just like focusing on their strengths and building up their confidence and then connecting it to what you need them to do. I think I see why you're such an effective coach. <laughs> because um, like you see it from a different perspective. So most coaches, though, a client has a problem. Yo, I wanna write a book. And they say, well, this is what you gotta do. You do this, 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 and this. There you go. But do you apply some of these same principles of working with the teachers to work with the students? Because, like, teacher has a problem, which is a student. And you work on the teacher becoming a better problem solver, becoming a better so problem solver, so that no matter what student they're working with, I can handle that best. So do you approach business the same way in terms of working with an entrepreneur saying, yo, you got a problem. Let's focus on your ability to solve problems first. That's exactly what I do. Um, because we all know that the strategies, there are so many strategies out there. And at the end of the day, if you wanted to do something, you could go on YouTube, find a video to help you, right. and then do it. So why isn't everybody at six figures? Why are some people publishing their books and actually turning them into scalable businesses while some stay on the struggle bus for years and years and years? Mm. The problem isn't the strategy. Yeah. Sometimes it can be the strategy, but oftentimes, you know, it's not. Because yeah. the strategies are out there. Why, what's the difference between people who are successful and the people who aren't successful? You know, I listen, I, I think I, I learned about Jim Rohn from my husband, and I know that you mentioned him in one of your podcasts on one day. And, and one of the things that I heard him say was, you know, when you want better, you have to become better. Yeah. Like, if you want more, you have to become more. Yeah. So it's not all about the strategy. Yeah. If every, the strategies are out there, so why are you still failing? What in, what in you needs to change so that you can actually get the change that you want yeah, to see? For sure, for sure. So, so that's how I approach it. So first year in, let's just say your serious business, because you said you tried MLM, as did I, okay? <laughs> like once you get that taste of, yo, I can make money outside of what I'm doing, let's go, I'll try whatever. So what year did it spark for you say, yo, oh, this is my lane? Um... So initially when I wrote my book, because you came to my book launch, yeah. we had just yeah. moved in our house, you came yeah. to my book signing. So initially when I wrote First my off, book. First off, real quick, <laughs> shout out to Zakira, I gotta say it. So Zakira, she like recently released her book and she sold like a book at your book launch. <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> Zakira, you're a savage. She like, somebody asked her about a book and she was, she was looking around like, 
<laughs> All right, I got you at this side of the button. So, yeah, that's what I said to you. That's my girl. But I, I'm sorry. Yes, I remember once. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. You got to get it out there. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, somebody tags a care if you hear this. Like, hit her up. All, you should always carry copies of your book Max. with you anyway. Max. So, you know, it is what it is. But, right. yeah, y'all came out. This podcast is sponsored by DonaldTheVoice.com. For all your audio and video needs, I'm here for you. Sound good. Look good. Be good. The official editor and producer of the Social Proof Podcast, Donald The Voice. And, and, and now, back so to the I show. I think that, like, when I first came out with my book, I was trying to be some relationship coach, right? I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was trying to be this relationship coach, and I was trying to talk about relationships and marriage, and it just wasn't working. Like, <laughs> nothing that I did would work. And it just, and I got... It, was, it, just, it just was not working. I wasn't seeing any money. Why do you, you know, th- why do you think it wasn't working though? Like, what would you say? What? Why? Why wasn't it working? Because it wasn't what I was supposed to be. It wasn't what I was graced to do. Right. You know. Um. And so one of the things I knew, I, I knew that I was supposed to like really launch and grow it. Mm. But I was like, God, I know that you told me to write this book, so you got to show me what to do with this because mm. this is a new lane for me. Yeah. You know, like I had entrepreneurial experience, like. My paternal father's side were educators, but my mother's side were entrepreneurs. Yeah. So my grandfather owned shoe, rep- uh, like owned shops, and just I had the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. But I, it just wasn't clicking, and so I was able to make a few hundred dollars here and there off of digital products or challenges or whatever. But there came a point in time when I could feel on the inside like there was something more. But I, I, wasn't, I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I was like, God, you know what? I'm just going to stop going live. I'm going to stop with all of this, and I need to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And I, for like two weeks, I don't think I posted anything. I don't think I did anything, but I went into prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you, if, you, if this is what you want me to do, you're going to have to show me how to do it. And so I was out running in my neighborhood because I run, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, teach people how to write their books and build their business. And I was like, nobody's going to pay me for that. Mm-hmm teach people how to write books and build their business. And I was like, okay, well, nothing else that I've been doing works, so I'll try it. But the crazy thing about it is people had been coming to me anyway. Mm-hmm. I was getting cl- people... After you launched your book? After I launched my book, but not just after, even months after. Like, people were asking me not just how did you publish your book, but how did you write it? Can mm-hmm. you help me? And I was just like, no, no, no. And so my husband found out that all these people were asking me and I was just turning them away. I was like, because I'm focused on relationships. He was just like, Jasmine, they're trying to pay you to do this. You get this money. (laughs) You know, Um, shout out to LB because I was I was um, me and LB met on the pavement running Mm -hmm. through black girls, uh, black girls run chapter. All right, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you can keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headache, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. It just makes sense. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit from NetSuite? I know you see it. Listen to me. If you have everything scattered in business, you cannot grow. And everything is more expensive when you have more and more processes layered on top of each other, more and more softwares. You got to get out of that. And it, it will improve efficiency and cut costs. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com slash social proof. That's NetSuite.com slash social proof. NetSuite.com slash social proof. It's so important that black voices are represented in black media for so many different reasons. And the next generation of black uh, voices and influencers from black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collections, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. And every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smyrta to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. I listen and I'm enjoying these conversations that are for us, by us. Black representation, again, it hasn't always been uh, shared from our perspective. And black perspectives haven't been censored in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR. Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen to the Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Our um, neighborhood, we used to mm -hmm. run every morning. Right. She had came out with her book, and so I um, reached out to her. I was like, people, and she was like, you know how to do it, do it. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I did it for myself, though. I hadn't done it for anybody mm -hmm. else. And then by that time, I had started coaching with Kendall Ficklin, mm -hmm. and he was just like, if people are asking you, do it. So all three of these people, my husband, LB, and Kendall was like, you need to do it. And I was like, no. Right. What's so funny <laughs> is you started out in relationships and went into books. LB started out in books. And, and we're in relationships. relationships. <laughs> that's hilarious. She sure is. And so, yeah, and so that's, and so I went on that two-week uh, period of fasting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't what I want to do. But this is what I hear you saying. So at this point, I have nothing to lose because what I'm doing isn't working anyway. Right. So I had to pivot because I was like, well, how do I pivot? Because I've been talking about relations. I was like, bump it. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. So I started talking about publishing your book, writing your book. The floodgate started opening. Like I started getting um, publishing clients. My coach, Kendall, at the time started sending me clients from his membership community. 
Um, and people literally was, were gravitating to me. And then um, when I created my program, my course, the floodgates opened. Wow. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And in that, I realized this is what you've supposed to been doing all along. Yeah. Because this is what you've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> you've yeah. been teaching English for 12 years. You've been a school-wide writing coach. You've worked district level with you've you've been doing this you've been talking about essays when in, in college you've been asked to do keynotes since you were in you've been doing this I've, I've i've been preparing you for this for the past 10 to 12 15 years and you didn't even realize it wow wow <laughs> oh my goodness because there's some people that's watching this right now and it's something that they've been doing but for some reason they're fighting it because it ain't it doesn't look like what it doesn't look like the vision of what you want to do, right. but you've been graced to do that very thing. And so you'll find success when you just trust God and roll with it because you're graced to do it. All right. So you you realize this is your this is your lane. What do we do now? Because somebody's like, yo, I know it. I, I can feel her 100 percent. What do I do now? You go forth and you do it and you figure it out along the way. Mm. <laughs> like that's that's what I did. And and the thing about it was that at the time I was working, you know, I was working, you know, um, still as a teacher. Yep. I was married. Okay, right. appreciate it. I was married, you know, still am married. <laughs> mm. Um, have children, small children. So I had to figure it out around all of my other obligations which I think for a lot of men in the entrepreneurial space, you guys a lot of times just do what you do. But I was coming at it from a different perspective. I was a wife and a mom of, of small children, yeah. you know? So yeah. I literally had to figure it out. And I figured a lot of it out through doing, through assessing what was working, wasn't what, what wasn't working and making pivots. One of the major things was that when I got frustrated, I just didn't give up. Yeah. You know, I continued to pray for guidance, continued to do, move forward, figure it out. And then I also invested in coaching. Mm -hmm. When I wanted to grow in certain areas of my business, I invested coaches for that. Mm -hmm. um, I did the work and then I kept it moving. And so over time, one of the things that I always do is that I always look at where I am yearly. So I do a, a year, year in review. Yeah. Where am I now versus where I was this time last year? If I'm in the same space, my money's the same, my circle is the same, I haven't grown. So my goal year after year is to not only grow personally and, and uh, developmentally, but also grow in my business. Where's my business now versus six months ago or versus last year? What have I done now? What changes have I made? Do I enjoy the work that I'm doing or is it stressing me out, <laughs> you know? Um, what books have I read? Have I gained weight? Have I lost weight? Like, what changes do I need to make? Wow. Every year I need to be becoming a better person, a better wife, a better mom, yeah. a better business owner. So what is it that you specifically help people with? Well, actually, actually, so uh, let, let's go back when you first started helping people, because uh, that gets fr that got frustrating for a while. You're kind of on you're on the same path, just scaling that concept. Mm -hmm. So, what were you helping people with first? At first, I was specifically providing publishing services, meaning that if someone wanted to publish a book, then I provided services to do that for them. Right. And so they I, come with an idea. You say, okay, this is how you're going to write it. This is the direction, stuff like that. They already had their books written, mm. oftentimes. So these were people, and I, I only worked with nonfiction authors. I didn't want urban fiction. I didn't want romance. I only, I didn't take children's books. Mm. I turned down a lot of money um, because I 
stayed true to this particular um, niche. Yeah. And so I, um, I totally lost my train of thought, but I provided publishing services. So if someone already had their book finished or they knew they were going to be finishing it within a month or two mm -hmm. and they wanted publishing services, they wanted more personalized services um, along with some coaching, then mm -hmm. I would provide that. So that's what I did. I made the pivot, though, into coaching, consulting, training, and speaking. So, so what was your best year in doing that in terms of, like, financially? Where Last year. Last but you, year. But you switched from publishing. You don't do publishing anymore, right? I oh, but last year January. was your last. Okay, yes, gotcha, gotcha, last gotcha. year. Okay. La yeah. Last year, I think, might have been my third or fourth, my third year publishing, mm. and we we hit well over six figures last year. Wow. That's awesome. Three so, years. Three years. You can have an idea, stay focused, stay in a lane, because I hear you say it a couple times. Not only do you stay in your lane of publishing books, you stayed in the lane within that of nonfiction. Yes. How do you turn down that bread for the people that's watching, like... Because it just, it wasn't my, you got to be in it to really make impact and not just for the money. Yeah. You know, like, I could publish children's books and all that. I could do that probably easily, but it's going to take a lot more work for my team mm -hmm. to do all these different projects. And it's just like, why? Like, I, I know that I can work with this person to teach them, to help them publish their book and then teach them how to build a course from their book mm. or teach them how to um, create speaking topics and speak from their book and actually go, even if you go into paid speaking engagements because now you have a course, yeah. turn that speaking engagement into a five-figure engagement because now you figured out how to pull clients from that speaking engagement. Gotcha. Like, I can teach you how to write this book and turn it into a business. The same thing that I felt God say to me, teach people how to write their book and build their business. Mm. I can teach you how to do it because I've done it and I've helped others do it. Gotcha. So now you're pivoting from I'm going to do it. Like you, you give me your idea. I put it together to teaching other, empowering other people, which I think is more noble, yeah. too, because you could pay me to do it. But if you want to do it again, you want to write another book, you got to come back and pay me again. And Exactly. But right now, you're empowering people to go out and write as many books as they want to. Exactly, because once you know the process, once you know the system that I teach my clients, you can quickly write a book. Mm. And then you'll have the tools and the team to be able to publish it on your own. So now you're not depending on anyone to do it for you. Yeah. And now you'll know how to monetize it. Not yeah. just one book, but any book that you want to write. You know, I wanted to, I was getting paid, but at the same time, it was a crutch because most authors want to write more than one book. Yeah. You know, um, and so what, what is that going to be? Are you going to keep paying someone thousands of dollars every time you want a new book out? Mm. Or would you rather just make the upfront investment yeah. so that you can learn how to do it yourself? And then if you decide to hire someone after that, now at least you know what to expect. Yeah, like sure. you're not going to be taken advantage of. You know what to expect. You know what questions to ask. You know how the process should go. Mm. Let me ask you, is this pivot from a... Yo, I think I need to scale my business, or did it come from fatigue? Because working with a bunch of clients, especially in this, because you were kind of just telling mm -hmm. me, um, yo, people are write it, or, and the crazy thing is why you're telling me I'm that type of client. Like, <laughs> I, I'm like, yo, this is what I want. And then you give me what I want, and it's not, it don't give me the feeling. I'm like, all right, let's go this direction. And you're like, yo, David, you better sit down somewhere. So was, was it more so fatigue saying, yo, I feel like my time could be better served in a different capacity, or, yo, it's time for me to scale, or a little bit of both? It was a little bit of both. Um, I knew that if I was going to continue scaling my company, like, I already had a remote team of three designers, five editors. Um, yes, three designers and five editors 
and two, one assistant, two at one, but one assistant. And so I knew that if I was going to continue to scale, I was going to have to bring on more people. And the payroll every month was five figures. And I was just like, this is, I don't want to continue doing this, you know? Um, and then there was also, it was project, I wasn't managing projects, I was project managing people. So I found a lot of our time, energy, and effort literally going into billing, you know, um, having to contact these people because their car is declined. Um, what do we do now because this person has decided that they want to cancel their contract, you know? Um, now we got to refer back to the contract. Are we going to hold them to it or are we just going to release them? You know, like those type of things. Um, it, it, this person has paid, but we've emailed them five times, ten times. They still haven't sent over their forms. They still haven't sent us the manuscript. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to be done six months ago. Like, it's, it becomes, you know, that was the exhausting part of it, mm -hmm. where you realize that, that, that what I was saying earlier, if, when you have the keys of success, but you're still not successful, I'm doing it for you, yeah. but you're sabotaging your own progress. Mm -hmm. You know? So wow. Wow. I, um, I, I definitely, I moved more into the, the coaching, consulting, and, and training space. I mean, and even in terms of scaling, you know, growing and scaling. In order to scale, we were going to have to bring on more people, and I just didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I figured out a way to help more people, be more impactful, um, as well as keep more of my money, Good. and do it with half of the time and energy, and all is well in the world. Wow, so I love it, I love it, I love it. So just a couple more questions. You are an entrepreneur, your husband's not, like full-time entrepreneurship. Right. Um, and I, I have a similar story. So when I, when I first you know, started dating my wife, uh, she was like, yo, I love my job. And I'm like, cool, that's what's up. And I was like, yo, but there's no way you're gonna be around this and not wanna be an entrepreneur in some capacity. Like, I just can't see it happen. She's like, nope, I ain't never, I'm straight. Mm. And she literally just quit her job a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, you know, like well, entrepreneurial. Because right. she's around it so often. So you being an entrepreneur for the last few years, he's seen you quit your job, stuff like that. Um, how is your how is that relationship between entrepreneur and non-entrepreneur? How was it initially? Oh, was gosh. it some it initially was rocky. Really? Like just to be totally honest and you know, um, just to be totally honest. At first, he wasn't on board. He wasn't fully. He supported me in the way that he would support me, but he wasn't fully on board because he didn't understand it. Because when we got married, I was in school working on my third degree, getting my specialist mm -hmm. in educational leadership. Mm -hmm. So the whole plan was for me to go into administration, become an assistant principal or an academic coach, which is what I'm doing now in my consultant anyway. Um, that was the plan. Yeah. And here I come with these dreams totally. <laughs> And he's just like, hold up, wait, this right. isn't what we agree. This yeah. isn't what I agreed on when I right, married right, you. Right. Like, you talking about quitting your job. You're talking about all the, I don't know, you have this pipe dream, all this. And, you know, it was just, no, mm -hmm. it, 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 it was uh, some contention mm -hmm. off and on for quite some time. Did it discourage you um, or drive you or a little bit of both? Well, you can't argue your way into helping anyone understand you. Mm. You just have to do the work. Mm. You got to do the work. And so, yeah, we would get into disagreements and I would just still do the work. He would make comments sometimes and I would still just do the work. Yeah. Despite how I felt, despite, you know, oh, I don't feel supported. I don't care. This is what 
I know I've been led to do, so I gotta focus in and do it. And after the first year, when he start, started seeing the income change a little bit, right. he was like, okay, you know, but still, you right. know. <laughs> and and it's a security issue because yeah. we have children and, sure. and all of that. And so well, my husband's great because without him, I would not have been able to as confidently make the jump into full-time. Because mm -hmm. even when I made the jump into full-time entrepreneurship, I was at six figures in my business. I was making three times as much in my business than I was on my job, but still it was just like, I'm quitting my job. This is mm -hmm. all I've known for 12 years. Yeah. I've worked so hard getting three degrees. I've worked and I'm letting it go. It was my, I cried every day for almost four weeks and my mm -hmm. husband was right there. But it was his support. Um, along with, you know, his job that allowed me to say, okay, you know, well, I can do this, you know, and I know I, I at least have something to fall back on. But when I made the jump, three months later, I had my first five-figure month and haven't mm. had anything less than that in the past two years. Awesome. You know, and so that's just kind of how it worked out. And so he comes from a family of railroaders, like his great-grandfather, um, his dad, and he works for the railroad too, so he makes a nice income. Um, but even he's told me recently, you know, you've inspired me because I see that if something happens, I need to have my own thing to fall wow. back on. And awesome. so he's been studying real estate um, he, and he's been getting his ducks in a row. He talks about his v dreams every single day. Awesome. And so, you know. And what if you gave up on yours? You know the, I mean? the word, I, I, I go to the, and it wasn't easy. It yeah. wasn't easy. But the word says, you know, that a woman can win over her husband, not by talking, but through her actions. Mm. And so I just, at some point, I just shut up and I did the work. Yeah. I did the work. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> well, look, uh, I, I, I definitely want to um, just, just add some value because we, we know about who you are. And I want, I want you to add some value. So let's say somebody wants to write a book. They got a story. They haven't, they haven't even started. It's in their head. What are the first three, five, you know, steps that you would give them right now to like turn off this video and get to work? So it's not even about, I wouldn't even give them any steps. This is what I would tell you to do. If you have a story and you want to write a book, why should you share your story? Like who wants it and who's going to care? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask you, how does your story impact others? So how will you sharing your experience help someone to get a result in their life or in their business. Sometimes their answer is delusional though. I mean, it's like from, well, not delusional, but from their perspective, like, well, I went through this and I want to help people by telling my story. And when people hear my story, it will help them. But it's not necessarily, I've noticed, because I had a publishing company too, and it was just. But that's why, that's why. Too much. <laughs> that's why I get asked very specific questions, like what I ask, what is the result? So I would, I would have you to, if you're thinking about writing a book or sharing your story, sharing your expertise, what is the number one result that your readers should learn by the time they get to the end of your book? Mm. You have to be able to answer that. Yeah. That's going to help you get some clarity. Um, and so what problem is your book solving? Mm -hmm. So th these type of questions take it beyond just sharing my story and helping people. Because if you even say, I want to help people, how do you want to help them? Mm -hmm. 
In what way do you want to help them? Why is this important for you to help them in this manner? And that's when it goes back to their story. Their, well, because I overcame this, and I want to show people how to gain the confidence to leave a relationship. And I was like, now, now we're cooking. Yeah. You know, you want to use your book to help people increase their confidence to leave toxic relationships. Mm. That's the result. I love it. So it's just through a, so before you even pick up a pencil, <laughs> yeah. ask yourself these questions. Who is my book for? And it's not for everybody. It's for one audience because you need to write your book as if you're talking to one person. Mm -hmm. Who is your book for? What is the goal of the book? So by the time the reader gets to the end of the book, what's the number one thing that I want them to learn and accomplish? And why does this matter? And once you answer those three questions, then we can actually start um, peeling back the onion, so gotcha. to speak, you know, peeling, peeling off the layers of the onion to determine how we're going to get it done. Gotcha. So talk to me about the person who has a book and they've already exhausted their friends and family. They sold their 200, their, their three, whatever, how many they did. Uh, and now we're at a standstill because every author gets Amen. there. Right? It's, a, it's about a 30 to 60 day period after oh, lunch. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. It goes quiet. They're like, ah, I need to do something else. Like, yeah, what do you, so what, what, what do you say to that person? Now, so this is where marketing comes in. So you have to be able to clearly answer those th three questions that I just asked because now you have to actually start speaking to your market. So mm -hmm. it's being able to determine how can this book be used? Who needs this? Who needs the information in my book? Where can I find them? What organizations have the people who need this information? What schools have the students who need this information? How can I connect with them? And so then that's when you start pulling out content. You go into chapter one, okay? Well, these are three solid speaking topics that I can pull from chapter one. I can go and give a 30-minute uh, or 60-minute uh, training seminar or keynote, and now I can funnel you or draw you into my program or workshop based on this. But if you can't answer those initial three questions, right, right. Yeah. you won't even be able to do that. That's You'll just be at crickets, yeah. which is why you have a lot of self-published authors who can't do anything with their books because it, the foundation isn't solid. Yeah. It's not established. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. But look, <laughs> I know we, uh, uh, I, I want to say thank you, too, because I think your story is just uh, powerful for the person who has a job. They're on a path, but it's something on the inside of them that's saying, I, I know that's what I dreamed about, but for some reason... I, I, I don't feel it right now. Can you imagine, like, think about the person that they, they had a dream since college to be this thing and they become it. And there's pressure to keep going on that path even though something's changed on the inside of them. Oh, How do you fight I, that? I had to change. Um, even people at my job could see it. My principal came mm. to me. She said, something in you has changed. Mm. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know. Do <laughs> like, you feel pressure to keep on that path? Because, yo, all my family teachers, I've been telling people this is what I want to do. It, yeah, especially after I had gotten my degree, my third, my specialist degree in leadership. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have my degree in leadership. Now I just got it. I've paid twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars for mm -hmm. it. So what am I gonna? Are you, you just gonna just totally, you know, yeah. throw it away to go after this? To go after this dream? There's the societal pressure. There is the fear yeah. of the fear of the unknown. Yeah. You know, but when you know that you've been called and you can feel it, and then you not only feel it, don't just go off a feeling. You have to have a proven product. I was already making money. Sure. Sure. So I sure. wasn't just sure. going to make the jump and not make money, have money, because I had a family. Mm -hmm. So um, the fact that 
I was already generating income, so I knew that I had something. Yeah. I just had to figure out how to like really streamline it and blow it up. I and, love it. Yeah. I so. love it. Well, look, give me your, um, I like to make predictions on this line, because I want you to make a prediction right now to where you feel like you're going to see yourself in the next five to ten years, so that in 2025, I can play this and say, yo, I remember Jasmine said she was going to be doing this, and look, she's doing it. So five to ten years from now, where do you think you'll be? Five to ten years from now, I will have a multi-million dollar coaching, consulting, and training business. I'll be teaching teachers how to become the best version of themselves and just do better in the classroom through being themselves, but I'll also be helping authors all around the world. This, mm. I love what I do, and I'll be traveling with my family, you know. Um, my husband and I will have our multi-units. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> my children will be happy, healthy, whole, emotional, spiritually. Yeah. They'll have their own businesses, too. Mm. What if they want to be entrepreneurs? They do. They have no choice. <laughs> <laughs> we don't work for people around here. Child? No choice. Okay. My, 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 I'm already putting it into my eight-year-old's head. Like, mm, wow. Yeah. So that just through awesome. exposure and opportunities. I yeah. love it. I they love they it. want to do more of what they see. Yeah. So you put them around other people, they're going to want to do it. They, you know, so at some point it's like, oh, my mom's talking again. Well, yeah. let me show you. Let me put you around other kids who are doing it, yeah, too. That's a fact. I love so. it. I love it. All right. Well, please um, let everybody know um, where they can find you and why they need to be finding you. All right, you can find me at www.jasmine. It's Jasmine spelled the regular way, jasminewomack.com. I'm also on Instagram at the Jasmine Womack, and um, Facebook and YouTube is author Jasmine Womack. And so you definitely need to find me for your daily dose of inspiration and writing and coaching strategies. I love it, I love it. <laughs> All right, give us one gem. One gem that you want to tell the people so they can have the best year they've ever had in their life. Honestly, Even though you give dropped it like off. 30 of them this For me, interview. honestly, my faith was a cornerstone. So, you know, when you do things in your own wisdom, that's when you fail. Give it all to God. You know, when you feel God telling you to do something, I don't care what it looks like or what people are saying. Find the strength within to do it anyway, and the path will become clear as you continue to walk it. There it is. Make sure you follow Jazz <laughs> and her journey. Make sure you send her a DM, say, I love yeah. this interview. If it helps you, uh, send her a DM, talk to her. Uh, definitely, if you have a, a story that you know needs to get out to the world, make sure you reach out to her and she can help. All right, Most we are out of here. Peace. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money.